The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Make does a great job for us. Invite your attention this morning to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15. And uh, uh, we are on the home stretch, if you will, of our study of God's character. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that we've had uh, almost three solid months of studying who God is. And friends, we could spend a lifetime, we will spend an eternity trying to study this topic. And hope you've been encouraged to this time. And as we uh, study the patience of God today through Revelation, next week we'll look at the grace of God. And then starting in May, as I mentioned last week, we will look at a study of what worship is. This whole year, our theme is back to the basics. What is worship? Is it a contemporary song? Is it a traditional song? Or what is it? Or is it your pastor singing to you? I don't know if that's much of a song, but uh, that might, uh, it might let you know what worship sometimes isn't. It might be singing, but it is what it is. But you know, um, how many husbands in here think their wives are slow about getting ready? No hands are going up at this point, so <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. I did not raise my hand either, so I'm going to leave that one alone too. You know, there is this old story about Jack, uh, who was in his, pacing the living room waiting for his wife to finish getting ready, and realizing they would be late if they didn't leave for the next three minutes, he said, are you ready yet? And like any good wife would say, it was the response was, stop rushing me. I told you for the last half hour, I'll be ready any minute, honey, trust me. And some of you feel like the picture up on the screen as you wait. And uh, wives, how many of your husbands are very slow about getting ready? Lots of hands are going up at this time. Okay. Some of you need some marital counseling. I have office hours on Monday. So uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, as we come to this topic of patience, patience isn't one of those virtues that we often want, do we? Uh, even Matt, our youth pastor, has said that someone has been praying for patience for him and his family as they've been uh, going through an illness with Isaac, and thank you for your prayers to them. But someone as well said, don't pray for patience because that's the one prayer that God will answer. God, give me patience today. Someone cuts you off in traffic. God, give me patience today. Your kids uh, start doing things they never did before. And, you know, whatever it is, uh, it's one of those things that patience is hard to do. Patience is really hard to do, isn't it? Is anyone in here a patient person? The, the least patient person just right now just messing with you, Nick. But aren't you glad that in Christ, that God's perfect patience is a continually a fresh start for us folks? Aren't you glad that it's totally fresh every day? His mercies are new every day that Christ died for this, his patience. It's an attribute, it's a study of God. We don't often look at the patience of God. That sounds like he's just this doting grandfather out the pie in the sky, cartoon-like theology that says, well, God's just going to wait on you, don't worry. If you take an extra 20 minutes, honey, it's okay because God's right there. He's waiting on you. But I'm glad that the verse, one of the verses we'll look at briefly is this from 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Romans 15 says that God is a God of patience. 
Uh, I'll just read some verses here. I think it's appropriate. First uh, Peter says he waited probably no less than 120 years for Noah. Can you imagine that? I, I would love to be on the ark anyway and see what that was all about. But God has already said that he, he, he was going to wipe out the world, but yet he gives Noah 120-ish years to make a boat. That's amazing. And instead of drawing his sword throughout the ages, Acts 14, 16, and 17 says that God suffered all nations to walk in their ways and gave them rain and fruitful suffering. Numbers 14, 17 says the Lord is long-suffering and patient. And he also says in Romans 9, 22, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured much long-suffering for the vessels of wrath to be fitted for destruction? Friends, we have a patient God. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm glad that God doesn't, when you have one sin in your life, zap you down at that point. Has that happened? Absolutely. Is that happening now? No, it's not. But there's coming a time when God's patience will run out. We'll study that today. But what does it mean that God is patient? Because our view of patience, and sometimes a husband to wife or wife to husband view of patience can be quite different, can it? So what does that mean? Folks, today we're going to look at a topic that you say may say, this isn't quite connected, but I think it is, in that God's patience is going to run out. And the passage we're going to look at in Revelation is when that patience, so to speak, runs out. The final judgment. And the big idea comes from this passage. Unless you believe in hell, or H-E double hockey sticks, for those of you who grew up in that, you'll never know how much Jesus loves you. And that is the truth. Friends, there's an absolutely nothing in your life that's more amazing than God's patience. Think about Moses. So you know the story of Moses. How many times did Moses go back to God and say, I can't do this, and God divinely handheld him through that process? Or maybe you're like me, and you like to be a Gideon. Do you remember that story? And you like to put out your fleece. God, I'm not sure you're doing this, so I'm going to put this out here. And if you bless it, it must be from you. God was abundantly patient with all those folks. Friends, God is so patient with us so patient with this world. Last couple weeks, we've looked over the love of God. Matt preached on that a couple weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the goodness of God. You'll see up on the screen. But folks, today, we look at the patience of God. At a very end of time, the very end of time, the patience of God. God has given eons of time, lifetimes of warnings, but now it comes to the end. Now it comes to the end. And we will see the patience of God through three things. We will see it, how people stand before God himself, we will see that people are sentenced by God himself. And we will see, lastly, that God are separated from God himself. And friends, I am under no cloud of, uh, you know, whatever, that this topic of God's patience in hell is not one you often hear from pulpits. How many of y'all grew up, just out of curiosity, hearing the quote-unquote hellfire and brimstone sermons? If, so the average age with respect to those raising their hands is much older than those who did not raise their hands. And isn't that true? Because haven't we air-conditioned hell a little bit these days? Just think about that. In popular culture, hell has gone the wayside of the hula hoop. Hell has gone by the wayside of whatever else, uh, talking Elmo. What was that? Uh, Tickle me Elmo, if you remember that from 15 years ago. Friends, we poke fun at these sermons from years gone by, but is there truth to them? Is there truth in what was being said? Maybe not always. You know, I don't have my slick back hair, the black tie. I'm not going to pound the pulpit today a thousand times like some of the old preachers used to do, but the truth remains is that polls consistently say that even among American Christians, most Christians do not believe in hell. Wow. 46% at a last offering by Lifeway, which is our studying group. Far fewer believe in hell, and almost no one believes that they're headed there, but modern Americans love to believe in any God but a God that could send people to hell. 
but his patience and hell go hand in hand. So what does the Bible say about this? We'll look at that briefly, and what does Jesus teach about it? We will look at that as well. Will you join me in standing, if you're able, this morning in honor of God's Word? This is your second exercise routine of the day, maybe your third, and we will read through what God's Word says as we go before it. As usual, reading out of the English Standard Version, this is on the second to last page of the, of the Blue Bible on the pew if you are interested and need that. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, John writing, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a weighty topic this morning, but friends, every time we open the Bible, it is a matter of life and death, isn't it? Because this is God's word. And let's go before it. Let's pray to this God that we worship this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that your patience is much more than sometimes as we laugh about in marriage or with, with our, our clients at work or with the dry fast food that sometimes doesn't feel like fast food or Father, the, the microwave that doesn't warm things up quick enough or our cell phone service that dies at the time when we need it. Father, all the things that we get impatient about are so minuscule, Lord, in the grand scheme of how patient you have been with us through your faithfulness, through your goodness, through all that we've studied, even briefly through the last three months. Father, I pray for Christians here today as we talk through this topic that this would be an encouragement, a challenge to remember how good you are to save us. Father, for those without Christ this morning, I would pray that you would open up hearts by your Spirit. Father, that's not something I can do. That is something only your Spirit can do through your Word. But Father, use the foolishness of preaching to bring glory to your name this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So before we can get into our passage today and talk about the patience of God in hell, we need to talk about what Jesus thinks about the topic. That's always a great place to start. What did Jesus say? Does anyone still have those bands? I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the WWJD band. Does anyone still wear those? Anyone have one? A couple of y'all still do. Uh, that's so 1990s in a sense. It's, it's, all, it's, it's, it's retro in some sense. But when Jesus speaks on a topic, folks, let's remember who he is. He's God. He's fully man, 100% God, 100% man. He's the risen Lord. And Jesus spoke more often, many of you know, about hell than he did about heaven. Isn't it interesting then today that we often speak more about heaven than we do about hell? That's an interesting thing. The Greek word that's often translated is used 12 times in the New Testament and is always translated hell. Christ used it 11 times. The only other mention of it is in James 3, 6, when uh, James is referring to the tongue, and he says that that can start literally hellfire in a sense. Friends, Christ warned his listeners to be afraid of hell, Matthew 5, 22. And he claimed that the only God has the power to cast humans into it, Luke 12, 15. Christ also said that it is possible for both your body, it is possible that your body and your soul will go into hell. The unsaved will go there with two eyes, two hands, and two feet. It's a place marked by fire. 
And in Matthew 25, in contrast to the sheep who are saved, Jesus said that the unsaved eventually would go into, quote, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. But what about today? You know, I can remember studying in college. Uh, many of you know my alma mater. I don't need to say it again. But I remember several people coming up saying, Darren, how can you believe in that place? That's so way back then. I mean, really? Do you really believe that to be true? I mean, do you really believe there's a place somewhere, somewhere, way off in the distance, beyond whatever it is, that people will go to if they don't know Jesus Christ? And the only answer I can give is, why did Jesus have to die if there was no place to save us from? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? So what do we know about hell? I'm just going gonna, gonna to machine gun these up there. Amy will up on the screen. And these are simply some things we know from Scripture. Very briefly. Friends, we know hell is real. We know hell is very, very real. It is not some fictitious place. Jesus spoke with the authority of God's word. We know it to be true. Hell is also separation from God. Separation from God. It's a place where those who go are going eternally. Hell is fire. We believe that. It's a prepared place for the devil and his angels. It's inevitable that if you never come to know Christ, that that is your destination. God's patience has given you all the time in the world. His patience is not worn out, but yet it's inescapable once you are there. You know, I love that. Do you, this is, I've dated this again, but do you remember that commercial a few years ago? Hey, I slept at a Holiday Inn last night, and therefore it must be easy. Do you guys remember that commercial? Am I the only one that remembers that commercial? This guy like wakes up and he goes and performs surgery on someone. He's not a, he said, are you qualified? And they said, no, but I slept at a Holiday Inn last night. Or do you remember the Geico commercial? It's so easy. A what could do it? A caveman could do it. Friends, do you remember that commercial? Well, guess what? You can sleep at a Holiday Inn and you can be a caveman, but if you don't know Christ, that's it. That's it. Hell is inescapable once you're there. But friends, the great thing is that if you come to know Jesus Christ, the patience of God has blessed you to know that truth. You know, some today believe that the patience of God is so great that someday everyone will be saved. They say that, well, guess what? Well, well, Pastor, you're just wrong because the patience of God and His love is so grand that someday everybody, everywhere will come and sing Kumbaya around the fireplace and we will sing to Jesus because that's just how it's going to be. They call that universalism. Friends, that's not true at all. Jesus said the gate is what? The gate is narrow and wide is the path to destruction. Others believe that once people are judged and sent to hell, that someday they will just cease to exist. That is also false. Friends, I know that Jesus believed in hell because he taught it. And I know Jesus believed in hell because of the cross. That's what we know. Christian, if you're here today, aren't you glad that the greatest hell that you will ever have to face is what you're facing right here on this earth? Did you ever think about that? If you're a Christian here today, whatever trial you may face, whatever temptation you may face, whatever is in front of you right now is the greatest hell you will ever face because Christ went to hell for you in a sense and took the punishment that you deserve. Isn't God's patience amazing? What is God's patience? It is that he never goes back on his promises. His patience is that. He said that he will carry this out. Can you imagine God saying, there's going to be a judgment someday? Oh, by the way, I was just kidding. Psych. I didn't really mean it. I was just twisting your arm, you know. Didn't, didn't you get the sarcasm there? Guys, he'd be like Pinocchio's nose would be eternally long if that were the case. 
God is not lying about this. It is very true. His patience simply means that based on his faithfulness, based on his love, based on his goodness, that all those things coming together, that he is waiting for a time. Only he knows that he will set all things right. That is his patience for us. And if you're a Christian here today, you're called to have that same patience with other people. Yes, that annoying coworker. Yes, that annoying neighbor who doesn't mow their lawn when you have the perfect lawn in the neighborhood. And some of you have that perfect lawn. Please come to my house. Annoying, whatever. Friends, that patience is so much there. But someday that patience will run out. So that is what Jesus taught about hell. Let's look at what hell is and apply it to the patience of God in our lives. Let's start with the first one. Someday we will, those who go to hell will stand before God. Look back at verses 11 and 12. Excuse me. He says, then I, this is John, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. The first application point for you is one I think is so true is that every sin in history of the world will either be punished in hell or punished in Christ. That's why he says here, then I saw what takes place here is after the great millennium. You say, what's the millennium? Well, that's a study we don't have time to dive into. And which side are you going to take? Are you pre, are you, are you all mill post, you fill in the blanks. Friends, what's happening? This is the end of time. This is when it all comes together. Who is the him here? Who is this? Is this the angels? Is this the disciples? No, this is that baby who we celebrate in a manger during Christmas time. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who is exalted above all. The one who we know now at every, na- every knee should bow and every tongue confess on he- earth, on heaven, under the earth. This is that time. Why Jesus? John 5 says it this way. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to his Son. Acts 10 says, and he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that it is Jesus that has been ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Or how about 2 Timothy 4? I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Friends, don't think this Jesus as we've harped on so much. It's just this Mike this mild, medieval, 15th century painted man that you get in a picture somewhere. Look, he was mild-mannered. He was gentle. He was all those things. But he is also the one that we will stand before someday when God's patience says, it's over. But notice also here, it's a great white throne. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on the great white throne before? Really? Just a few hands go up. That's actually very interesting. Why is it great? It's the word megos. It's, it's, it's big. It's great. It's so big, it makes all these other little thrones that you study in Revelation look like little specks on a map. It's white. Why is it white? I always give the illustration that when you have a fire, what do you look at when you see the fire? You see the orange, you see the red, but at the base, what does it look like? It's white. It's brilliant white because God is brilliantly pure. He's brilliantly holy, and he's judging the world. And then there's a throne, a big throne, huge throne, throne so big that everything else falls under comparison. If you're a Christian here today, you say, Darren, I'm a Christian. How does this relate to me? Aren't you just preaching to the unsaved today? No, I'm not. Christian, you may need to see a throne in your life. Maybe your view of God has gotten no higher than our beautiful uh, wood ceilings. And you need to see God high and lifted up as Isaiah did as we studied in December. But what we know 
is this God is so great, this Jesus is so great that all of earth fled from him. Look back at the verse. This isn't exaggeration. This isn't pastor whatever. This is literally going to happen. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. Wow. You know, everyone is, you know, I've used this before, but please bear with me. You know, those people who say someday I'm going to set God straight. I'm going to tell him how it is. God, you know what? We can work out a deal. You know, put, put your best businessman up there. Let's, let's make a deal, God. You remember that game show? Let's make a deal. Well, there's no let's make a deal. This is everyone's running away. Who are you to run in? No one can do that. Friends, what is the follow? Is this throne is terrifying. Unbelievers will stand before a sinless, holy person, and words cannot capture that moment. It'll be so horrific. That's why, secondly, the second application point I have for you about this study is that heaven will be full of people saying, Why me, Lord? And hell will be full of people demanding fairness from God. You know, so many people say, God is just not fair. Friends, God has been so fair by giving us a breath each day. God has been so fair by giving us even basic things that we have every day. That is the patience, the providence of God working it out. Hell is an equal opportunity provider for the spiritually dead. If you'll notice here, you'll see that phrase several times. Uh, the dead, the death, the dead, the death, dead, the death. But friends, note that those who die, it makes a great note here in the Holy Spirit. It says, and I saw the dead great and small. The billionaires, the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India, the middle class in North Kansas City, the athletes, the non-athletes, the mathletes, if you're a mathlete here today, the singers, the band members, the parents, those who would never have kids, the old, the young, everyone will stand before this God someday, regardless of social rank, whatever it is. Your status in life, your accomplishments, your accolades will count for zero when you stand before this God. His patience has run out. Hell will not be equally hot and terrible for everyone. Friends, there are actually, we believe biblically, Degrees of punishment. How do we know that? Mark 12, 38 and 40. Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who go into the marketplaces. They love greetings, and they love the best seats, and the best places at feasts. And they will devour your widows' houses and make long prayers. And they will receive greater condemnation. Yes, there will be varying degrees of punishment, but everyone in hell will suffer terribly and miserably in a place where nothing good is present. Nothing good is present. And then it goes on, he says he opens the books. The books were opened. What are these books? Well, they're books of works which contain every thought, every deed, every action, and everything that we are. Psalm forty four twenty one. would not God search us out, for he knows the secrets of the heart. And there's several passages here, but friends, know this, that God knows everything in your mind, in your heart, where you are. Punishment in hell will fit the sins. No one will ever call God unfair or unjust when his heavenly video recorder uh, plays back their life. But notice in verse 15, you see the books there in verse 12. Look at verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, there's two books going on, guys. There's a book of works, and there's a book of life. The books here contain, it's an ancient idea of registering everyone in the city, just like they took a census at Jesus' day. It contains the records, the book of life does, of the names of people who've repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever been bumped off of a plane ride before because you were blacked out? Anyone? 
Some hands go up. Have you ever made a reservation and gotten there before and they said, oh, sorry, we got the names spelled wrong? Anyone ever had this happen before? No one? Man, you guys are good. I need to come with you and make reservations sometimes. You know, someday, friends, it's not a reservation that you have to call up and say, you know, am I still on the books for 15 minutes? If you're a Christian here today, rejoice. Your name is written in the book of life, not because of you, not because of what you brought to the table, but all because of what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection. If your name is in the book of life, it won't be in the book of works. If your name's in the book of works, it won't be in the book of life. Do you see that difference today? Those who go to hell will stand before God. You know, we do not advocate as Baptists playing the lottery, but I think this illustration goes well. Lottery is just trusting things that are not God's trustworthy. Don't do that. But it would be a miserable thing if we were lottery players to almost win the lottery. This is how I think the Royals were for like 30 years before we won the World Series, right? Let's say you planned and you played the lottery and you decide to listen to the winning numbers and you get out your ticket and you realize you got number one. Yes, there's six numbers. You got number two. Woohoo! Got number three. I'm feeling it. Got number four. Could this be happening? Got number five. I'm feeling it. And they get to number six. And guess what? You didn't get it. <laughs> you didn't get it. You would be pouting. You would be screaming. Those of you with Facebook, man, we would know about it within five milliseconds. You would be so mad every time you pay a bill. You would say, I wish I would have been a millionaire. I was so close to being a millionaire. But friends, if you lose, you lose. And what God is going to do on that great day of judgment is show you what you could have had, what you could have been, and what you could have done with the kingdom. And then you'll watch as he scratches your name off those possibilities and gives it to the one beside you in the book of life. If you're not a Christian here today, I pray that you know that this God of patience has given you this opportunity to hear another sermon that you might come to know Jesus Christ, that you might come to know him. So that's the longer point of the the, the three, but we stand before God himself. God's patience has run out. Now look at verse 13. We are sentenced by God himself. Look back at verse 13, folks. It says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. You know, a recent survey, I'm talking within the last two years, of an unnamed but conservative seminary asked this one question to future pastors, future missionaries, and future church workers. Do you share hell and judgment when you share the gospel? Friends, this ought to make you shake in your boots. 46% of seminary students said that teaching or sharing about hell or judgment with unbelievers was in poor taste and you'll never win them to Jesus Christ at that point. These are your future pastors. These are your future missionaries. At an un, and I'm glad it's an unnamed seminary because I think most people would probably be up in arms. But friends, this is a reality. This is a reality. It's so true. And friends, if this is the first subpoint Amy will put up there, if you ever get to a place at our church here today, if our church ever gets to a place where we talk, stop talking about sin, stop talking about hell, there is no gospel preaching in that church going on. We do not do this because we're unloving. In fact, the most loving thing that we can do, folks, is to share this. This is probably one of the hardest sermons to give as a pastor. You, if you want to win friends and influence people, please don't talk about these things. If you want to get your likes on Facebook, please don't talk about these things. 
you know, uh, we, it's amazing to me how many churches are so afraid to talk about these things because they're afraid that people will be upset. Christian, what's wrong with that picture? Guess what? They're going to be upset anyway because you're sharing the gospel. If you're coming to church today, you have probably offended someone in your neighborhood without even knowing it, if they know what you stand for. But someday we will be sentenced by God. It says here that the sea and death and Hades, literally every speck of dust, every particle that makes up our bodies will be regathered and reformed during that day so that we will stand naked before him. And our resurrected bodies from every corner of the earth will stand before this God. We will stand before him. That's why if you ask God for justice, you are asking for hell. Ask for mercy. Friends, people often say, well, God will give me justice. Look, if you don't know Jesus Christ, God will give you justice. He will sentence you forever. He will sentence you forever. That's why a second time it says there in the verse, they were judged, each one of them, according to his works. How will they be judged? What are these works that are being talked about? Does this mean that someday that God's patience will give them just like five more minutes to go do 5,000 more good deeds so that they can go to heaven? No. These people will be judged by the book. What, what does this mean? Well, first, it's probably how they responded to God's word. Jesus said in John 12, He that rejecteth me, receiveth not my words, hath been judged, will be judged on the last day. Even if people never read the word of God, what happens to that person way out in South America that's in the jungle that is unreached, that has never had any contact with the gospel? Friends, we know from Romans 1 and Romans 2 that God's law is written on their heart, that they can look around nature and have a great sense of who God is. They'll be judged by what they know, even if they've never heard the name of Jesus. Second, their own words will judge them on that day in that book. But I say to you, Jesus said, that every idle word men may speak, they will give account for on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew twelve thirty six and 37. And finally, their own works will judge them. Look, every one of us knows someone in our lives, don't we, who hates Jesus. Um, I was in the neighborhood. I ran into some of our church members. They knew who they are uh, on Thursday out in Gracemore. And I, I got to chat briefly with a lady as I was getting ready to hang a door hanger. And I said, hey, I'm Pastor Darren. And she goes, I'll stop you right there. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I hate Jesus. Go on. And I did. <laughs> I did not put a door hanger on her door. Don't worry. She wouldn't let me close to the door. But friends, one thing you need to know is people have always hated Jesus. This isn't just something that they just suddenly have all this badness in their life. Christian, please remember that when you talk to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they are spiritually dead. There's nothing good in them. The only good, if you're, good, if you're a Christian here today, is that God has saved you from your sin. The only good you have, Christian, today is that God, by His grace, has given you more grace. Aren't you grateful for that? Say amen. Concerning the wicked, the Bible is very clear. Be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. You know, I was at the end of this decade, but I love those old chalkboards. You know, the ones that you can take your fingernails and go, I know, I don't do that. Others did that. But one of the things I loved when I was in elementary school was to write on the blackboard. And my wife, uh, my mom's a preschool teacher. You know, she teaches perfect letters to all her kids. And I'm the guy that you don't want me to write anything for you for. Deb, you know this. Uh, you can't read it. But as a kid, I like to pretend like I was a good writer. And 
whenever the teacher volunteered for so, or asked someone to volunteer to write on the board, I'd regularly raise my hand, let me write, let me write, let me write. Because as bad as my handwriting was, you know what the teacher would have me do? Take that eraser, and what do you do? It's gone. Just like that. I know we have smart boards today, we have dry erase, but there's something about that old chalk that you just saw the dust come off of it. And if you made a mistake with the chalk, you could take that eraser and erase it right away. And the best part, as a side note, as a kid, was to take those chalk things out, outside. You guys remember this? You used to get to beat them together. You came in, your whole complexion changed. It was, it was a crazy thing. You know, forgiveness works the same way. It's a cancellation of something. When, when you have written your sin in there, God can take that eraser and write it out. It's a deletion of error when, when you have a spell check, so to speak, in your life, a serious spell check. When, it's, when you're typing one thing and you get something else and you send it to someone, you're embarrassed. God erases those too. It's the ability to erase and start again. Friends, that is what God has done for us in Christ. But at this day, when the patience of God is done, there is no second chance. There's no continue button. I'm a video game guy from the past, and boy, the greatest thing to save a video game player was that continue and save button. Some of you, that's how you type things out. Praise God for autosave, amen? You guys know what I'm talking about. But one day, there will be no autosave. Just because you're a person doesn't mean you're a Christian. You are a Christian because you believe that Christ is Lord and Savior of all. Let's end with this. We will stand before Him someday because God's patience has ended. We will be sentenced by God someday because God's patience has long ended. And finally, we will be separated from God. Look back at verses 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jonathan Edwards, one of those old dead guys, way old dead guys, almost 300 years old, had a great sermon called The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Has anyone ever heard of that before? It's part of American history, let alone our, our, our Christian faith. This is what he had to say. And, you know, Jonathan Edwards is a note. You know, today, often preachers are judged by how stylistic they are, how good they are, how suave they are, how cool they are. Let's be honest, we do that. And, you know, Jonathan Edwards had one of those fake wigs on. You know what I'm talking about? Those old fake wigs, and he, he read like this. So I'm going to try my best Jonathan Edwards impression, okay? The pit is prepared. The fire is made ready. The furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. The flames do now rage and glow, and the glittering sword is wet and the, held over them, and the pit has opened her mouth under them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. And he read this sermon with a monotone voice, looking down because he was afraid of people most times. And do you know what happened after he read that sermon? A great revival broke out. The second great awakening overtook the colonies because people had long been taught that as long as you come to church, as long as you just do the things the pastor says, then you're going to be okay with God someday. And God's Spirit moved through a monotone, wig-wearing man to come to know Jesus Christ. Friends, the truth remains the same. There is a second death. There is a second death, and we will be separated from God. But do you know what the Christian astonishment, the gospel astonishment is, if you're a Christian today? Is that when tr- Christ triumphs over sin and death's, death is joy's triumph in our heart. Friends, someday, it doesn't matter if the preacher was big, it doesn't matter if the preacher was small, it doesn't matter if you shared the gospel and you didn't have all the right words, God someday will use all those interactions with these people and they will someday be held accountable for them. 
That's why it says death and Hades, the body and soul at this point are joined together, are cast into hell. Who does the casting? Is it the angels of God? Friends, no. The person who sends people to hell is God himself. Please hear that clearly. The God who so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him is the one who will throw sinners into hell. Friends, and make, take no bones about this. It doesn't say he handheld them into hell. It doesn't say if he put their arm around their shoulder into hell. It says, Lombano, uh, is that the word I'm looking for? He was thrown into hell. Christian, if that doesn't break your heart, I don't know what does. Because God's patience has given us so many opportunities to point people to Christ that someday it will be righted. And there's a second death. This is a spiritual death. This is an eternal death. It's a permanent separation from God. In one sense, God is there. His presence is there, Psalm 139. But the lost will have no sense of his presence other than his wrath. Please do not think that hell is some far off place that God just says, oh, not touching that one. Walking away here. Friends, God's presence is everywhere. And in hell, he will be in judgment. That's why, Christian, the last sub-point here before we close is we will either be on fire for God or in the fire, either blessed or burned. Look, if you're a Christian here today, let me just reiterate to you, whatever you may face on this earth, Christian, is the worst judgment of God that you will ever have to face. Praise God for that, amen? Praise God for that. If you're not a Christian, it doesn't end there. It goes to where we're at. Big question comes up, okay, is this your, Darren, is this my daughter's uh, science project where we cut out construction paper and make it look like fire, and we kind of put some red around it and call it fire, but it's not fire, but we know it's fire, you know, or is this literally fire? Friends, there's no reason to doubt that it is. Luke 16, the rich man of Lazarus says he was tormented by fire, but here's something I, I don't want to find out. Whatever it is, it's worse than I could ever imagine or describe to you. That's how bad it is. Language, let me just be very clear on this. Language here leaves no room for any universal salvation. It's only by Christ. The Bible here leaves no room for soul sleep. You don't sleep for an eternity till you right your wrongs. You go straight in. There's no immediate, intermediate state of purgatory. You're not in between waiting for... I always, I, Richard Simmons, man, I'm not, don't connect the two, except I always see Richard Simmons in my purgatory mind. You know, purgatory is the thought that you can die, and if you weren't quite there enough, you can sweat off your sins like he was sweating to the oldies. And you know what? That's a bad thing, but I just see his headband and his big hair being like, okay, take your sins. You know, look, I, pray, I don't know if Richard's a Christian. I pray he is, but that's the picture I have in my head, okay? There's no second chance. There's no annihilation. Friends, it is, this is it. This is it. The wicked will be tormented the rest for day and night forever. It is appointed, Hebrews says, for a man to die once and then go take a coffee break. It's appointed for man and woman and child and old and young to die once, Hebrews 9, 27, and then go sweat your sins out. No. And then face the judgment. You know, Muhammad Ali, as, as his name very often implies, his name is a Muslim name. He's a Muslim. And, you know, even as a Muslim, with a very different view of what we would believe. Please know our God is not the same as the God of the Muslims. But he said this. He said, I'm afraid of not going to heaven. He said this in a 2004 interview. 
This is Muhammad Ali, as many of you know, he's suffering, is it, is it uh, MS or Parkinson's, I believe it is? Uh, he, he's had that for several years. He's a tough man, guy that can knock you down, knock me down with his pinky, let alone his fist. You know, it, if Muhammad Ali said he's afraid of going to anywhere but heaven, this tough man, how much more should we? How about the great dead preacher Nancy With? I'm glad you got Nancy and Becky got to go tour the Spurgeon Library over the seminary a couple weeks ago last weekend. Here's what Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said. He said, Christian, think lightly of hell, and you will soon think lightly of the cross. How true that is. He goes on to say, He who does not believe that God will cast unbelievers into hell will not be sure he will take believers into heaven. The one who can throw into hell is the one Christian that can save you for heaven. And I'll end with this quote, another Spurgeon quote. It's, it's famous, but I, it always arrests my attention. Spurgeon said this. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms, our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That is our prayer, church. Has God been patient to you? Yes, he has. God is patient to you, Christian, especially believer, in that he brought you to know Jesus Christ. He's been patient with you, Christian, when you have prayed for things and he has said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then he answers the prayer just like that. Many of you have testified to that in the last couple weeks of your life. God has been patient to you when you were not faithful to him. Blake, you preached about that about a month ago. Guys, God is so patient with us. It's ridiculous how patient he is. But someday he will set it all right. And Christian, this should make you somber. I don't want you to walk away and say, man, that was a downer of a sermon today. That was a big guilt trip from the pastor. Christian, I don't want you to get guilt-tripped. I want you to be before this holy God to get on your knees and pray, Lord, is there someone in my life that I need to talk to about the gospel? Is there someone in my life, Lord, that I've given up long praying for because, quite frankly, I haven't seen any fruit? Would you continue to pray for them? Or, Lord, there's someone in my life that I just, uh, I really struggle with. Would you see it through this lens today? Would you see it through this lens? If you're not a Christian here today, the Bible simply says this. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, agreeing with him that you have sinned, you deserve his judgment, you deserve everything we've talked about here and more. But if you believe in your heart that God raised this Christ from the dead, you will be, what church? Saved. That is our God. And that is our God. Is God a God of patience? Amen, he is. The Lord is not slow in counting and keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you're a Christian here today, would you praise God that Christ took it for you? If you're a Christian here today, would you go home and rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and nothing can take that reservation away? Not a bad credit card, not a bad whatever. It is written in the blood of the one who gave his life for you. That is our God. Let's pray as we end our study today. Father, this is not a easy topic, and Father, it's not one that a pastor looks forward to preaching from a human standpoint. It's a weighty topic, Lord, as all topics are. Father, I just pray for Christians here today that we would just rejoice again that you have so long suffered with us, so long given us patience, so long 
given us another chance, Lord, that by your grace we have been saved, not of ourselves, but a gift of yours. Father, not of our works, lest we should boast, but all by your grace. Father, I thank you that as Christians here today, we can rejoice in that fact. Father, help us to be patient as you are patient with us, with other believers in our congregation. Father, I pray for relationships in our congregation that we would be patient with one another. Not doormats, Lord. Not whatever else that could be. But Father, help us to bear one another's burdens as it says in Galatians and Colossians. Help us to do the the one to another's well in this church because you have done perfectly, eternally, holy, patient to us in Christ. Father, I pray for any marriages here, any relationships here that may need to have more patience, Lord. It is a dangerous prayer in some sense, but Lord, you are the equipper and the strengthener of all, so would you be with them? Father, for those without Christ, I pray that, Lord, as the, the clocks tick, as we as the clock ticks until the day you return, Father, whether it's in our lifetime or not, Father, we know that someday what we've read will be the final place. Lord, I would pray that you would enliven, quicken hearts today to know the truth of the gospel. Father, we love you so much. We pray, thank you for your text. We pray that this church would long stand on your word forever and ever, as long as we are here together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.